I've got a good feeling based on, on actual results for what works and what doesn't work. What does work is when you get a really deep understanding of, of who it is that you're creating your video content for. Mm-hmm. And then from that understanding what their issues and pain points and frustrations, desires, all those sort of things, like really getting a, an extremely good understanding of who it is that you're talking to, your avatar, right? And once you know what those things are that they're really interested in watching, you can create content that responds to that. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the kind of content that works really well. Hey, it's Matt, and this is Pass the Secret Sauce. Gideon Shalwick loves helping entrepreneurs get their message out to large global audiences using the power of video. His company, Splashio.com, makes it easy to create super engaging videos ready for social media domination. We had, we had I had a, a great childhood. I mean, I grew up in... Uh, South Africa. This was, you know, I was born in 77, 1977. So I was there before the, all right. Okay. (laughs) So I was, I was there before the, uh, the changeover in in government. And um, so I think what happened with, with our situations, we, the area we grew up was, uh, grew up in was very protected. And so we didn't see a lot of the the stuff that was going on in, in the rest of the country. And so I guess as a result of that, we, you know, I had a pretty good childhood, you know, my parents, both hardworking people, my, <clears throat> my dad, uh, you know, he's a retired doctor now. So he was a doctor back then. He worked incredibly hard mm-hmm. uh, and mom supported him. And, and, you know, we just, we're four boys you now growing up together and um, we always had food on the table and it was important for my parents that drilled us into us that during the time is when, you know, when, it's a time that we were able to communicate and, and discuss things and, and be together, you know, and it's the only time we had during the day. The rest of the day was just so busy. Dad was either at work or, I mean, he, he was a general pr- practitioner, but he, uh, he was always on call, uh, like 24 mm-hmm. seven, uh, the way it was back then. And so he would do all sorts of things. He would go and, um, as we used to call it, catch babies, you know, or uh, deliver <laughs> babies. And, and it happened, you know, crazy, like three or four times a week in the middle of the night, he'd have to go out and uh, he'd be out for two or three hours and then come back and then full day work the next day, you know. So, so the dinner times were, were important for us. And it was important that it was peaceful. <laughs> My dad mm-hmm. wanted that um, because, he, you know, had a pretty stressful job. And, you know, my mom was very keen on our manners, you know, making sure that we had good manners, good table manners, especially, but also good manners in general. So, so that's, that's a big thing for our family. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. Did you, uh, did you have any businesses that you started when you were growing up? A lot of our guests sort of started no. their entrepreneurial journey early. No, I, I, um, I, I think, you know, I, I, I've often thought back to that and thought, you know, why, why didn't I start something much earlier? What was wrong with me in a way? And the closest I got was doing something together with my brother, but he was really the entrepreneur. So I always thought he would become the entrepreneur. We were about, I think I was maybe nine, nine years old. And he would have been 11 or no, nine, 10, 12. Let's say 12. He was 12, year and a half older than me, uh, two, two and a half years older. And so he, he figured out that you, he could get, it was just before the Olympic Games in Barcelona. So he figured out from somewhere that he could get these printed T-shirts and um, then he could sell them. So we, uh, so he roped me in to to help sell these these t-shirts, like hundreds of them. And um, <laughs> so we we uh, got a table from my mum, uh, like a you know those fold up sort of tables, mm-hmm. and we took it into the the central city area where there were a lot of a lot of foot traffic, 
And we just packed these t-shirts up on the table and um, started selling them. And, and they sold, you know, we sold all of them. It was great. So I guess um, lived a little bit about sales back then, but you know, it wasn't me that started the, the, the enterprise. <laughs> it was always my brother. And I always thought he, he would be the one to become an entrepreneur in the family. And out of all four brothers, I'm the only one who ended up becoming an entrepreneur. But I only became an entrepreneur officially uh, when I turned 28. I was, you know, so I went, I went through the whole education system, right? And I think, in a way, if I could lay blame, not that it really matters, but if I could point fingers, it would be towards, I guess, the education system that, you know, molded me in a certain way. I, I definitely got molded and influenced in a certain way to think in a certain way to act in a certain way and i guess i wasn't strong enough necessarily to go out of that mold you know and mm-hmm. so i ended up going through school you know i think 12 or 13 years of school right um, depending which country you're in i think in, in uh, 12 years in, yeah 12 years in, the, in, in mm-hmm. south africa and then we immigrated when i was 16 to, to new zealand and then i did you know the last two years, years of school there then i had a year off after school and then i did I went to do study engineering, electronic engineering for four years. And that was absolute hell. And, and then I thought, there's no way I want to be an engineer. So <laughs> even though I did well and, and, you know, succeeded and everything fast, I thought I'm going to do something else. So I studied, I thought, okay, well, I don't want to waste the last four years. Let's do something that's kind of related. So I did an engineering management degree, which was a master in engineering management. And that was pretty cool. I quite enjoy that. And then I went to the project management and then later business development. And I guess, as I went through the system, the more and more I stayed in it and the more, and then I think when it, the rubber really started hitting the road was when I started working, I, I realized, Hey, hang on. This is, this is not what I thought I was going to get, you know, from all the promises in inverted commas that were made to me, like, yeah, you, you know, get good qualification and then you get a good job and then you get paid lots and then, you know, you're happy <laughs> for the rest of your life. And instead I found that I, while I did get a, good job in, in relative terms. It wasn't something that I necessarily enjoyed. It felt like a jail to me. I couldn't uh, live out my creativity. There were always struggles with other people and, and you know, the, the politics and, and the bigger companies, especially. I mean, even in smaller companies, always politics. And I just hated that. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I wasn't earning very much. My, my income was really limited, you know, so none of those sort of dreams that I had about being happy and being creative and, and making a living, living came true from from the from the you know from the education system and it might might sound like that i'm a bit harsh on the education system but i I think what i'm trying to say here is that for me it uh, it didn't necessarily provide me with what i with what i needed Uh, i think if i could go back i would start the business a lot earlier Mm -hmm. but in saying that i i do believe in the education system i think it is a really good thing because you I, i think we need people to become educated right because as an entrepreneur you know, there's only one entrepreneur in my business. Yeah. Everyone else are employees. Yep, <laughs> you know? exactly. So I, I don't want to hire entrepreneurs, you know, <laughs> for my business. So I need, you know, entrepreneurs need people who can actually do the work. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's really, really important. And, and you need a good education system for that. So while I'm sort of negative towards it for myself, I think for, you know, this is a valid place for it in, in society, for sure. This is no doubt about that. So, yeah, but that's, that's, I guess, been the, the journey. I was 28, yeah. So when I became an entrepreneur and just told my wife, "Look, let's this sucks. This is back in New Zealand. Let's let's quit our jobs and immigrate to Australia and and just start start afresh." You know, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a clue about <laughs> business. I had zero idea. And uh, but that was the beginning. That was the beginning. That's, that's great. So what was it that you saw when you were 28? What, what did you jump into? What was your first business? What 
what spawned it, what inspired you to get into what you got into? Yeah, I, I really had no idea. So, so what happened was I, I told my wife, I said, look, let, let, let's start applying for jobs. You know, I'll, I'll start applying for jobs to, in Australia just to give us a ticket to get in, right? And then we'll figure it out once we get there. So for three months, I was applying for jobs and I, I didn't get any positive responses. Like everyone just, the, those who did send me back a response was just like, sorry, we're busy or, you know, we, we, <laughs> we don't think we can use you in our company. So got quite deflated. And then one day she said, look, this is not working. Maybe you should try applying for jobs because she had a good job. You know, we didn't want to looking at different options, but then, you know, she started applying for jobs in, in Australia. Within a week, uh, she had three job wow. offers and then, you know, she took one of them a month later, we were in Australia. And so then I was sitting there without a job, you know, I was jobless, uh, but my wife had a job, which is great. And she was paying the bills. And that gave me time to sort of figure out this, this entrepreneur thing. And so I thought, okay, well, I've got freedom now. What am, what am I going to do? What, what business am I going to start? And so I, I was looking for ideas and I remember going to this franchise expo in Brisbane, Australia, and there were all sorts of businesses there. And I remember walking past a, a dog washing franchise business uh, that they were advertising there in the, in the, at the expo. And I was looking at it and going, wow, this is, this is crazy. You know, if these guys are able to have not just a dog washing business, but a franchise for a dog washing business, you know, surely if they can pull it off, you know, I can do, I can do something similar, you know, how, how hard can it be? <laughs> so, <laughs> I laugh now looking back, <laughs> thinking that it was going to be easy. So that, that sort of gave me encouragement. And so I thought, okay, well, I, I can basically, if they can do that, I can do this too. I ended up, there was an, um, I was on an email subscription with my first mentor. I didn't realize it was going to be my first mentor, but he, he uh, ran a course that uh, taught us how to write a book mm-hmm. and, uh, as an ebook and then to sell it online. Mm-hmm. So that, that's cool. I can do that from home, you know, and I'm good with writing, you know, I've, I've, I've write a, you know, a thesis paper of my master's degree. I did lots of typing, you know, during my engineering days, surely I could write something, you know, and, and so I wrote a book in the personal development space and set up the, the sales process for it. And then my mentor, uh, Yuho Tankello, if you're listening, he promoted that for me. He had about 10,000 people on his database and it went gangbusters. So even we got lots of sales overnight, you know, like it was, it was kind of really, really exciting to think that I could just sell these digital goods, you know, this was back in 2006 or something, you know, and then get paid for it. Huge profit margins. And that was great. That was like the a fantastic beginning for me to, to get started with. But then it started getting a bit rough. So I'm not sure if you want to get into that, but um, and that was like a... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, what were some of the challenges that you had at that point? Well, what happened next was interesting because I had this, this rosy picture of, of being an entrepreneur, then I thought, oh, well, I just have to write these little books and then sell them, you know, and I, I, I can make millions or whatever from the comfort of my own living room. And which, which had some truth to it, but what I didn't know was, was anything about real business. And so from the first promotion, you know, I got a lot of traffic, but then I had zero traffic after that. So I didn't, I didn't know how to drive traffic to my little one page website that's selling this book. I didn't realize that it's not really possible to have a, a full on successful real business just on one ebook. <laughs> you know? And so I ran out of traffic, ran out of sales, and then I didn't have a clue about anything. So, that, you know, and, and then the money dried up as well, of course. And then it basically took me another two years. So that, that first bit was about a six month journey. Mm-hmm. And then it took me another two years to figure out the game properly before I had my first success. 
And I remember just before that first success, we got, we got to a pretty big low mm-hmm. where, you know, I was making nothing. We're making nothing. Like we're making a little bit, but we're spending more. Like I think we made yeah. maybe 10,000 for the year and spent 11,000 or something stupid mm-hmm. like that. You know, so my wife was, she was paying all the bills with her salary, you know, living costs and food. You know, we didn't go out anywhere. We actually lived on top of a train station, <laughs> so, yeah. which was handy because we could take the train everywhere. But it was very noisy, you know, got woken up every single night, a couple of times, as soon as a diesel train would come through, like we'd wake up, you know. I mean, it was a nice apartment, you know, but it was, you know, it was noisy. And, you know, we walked everywhere. We were really fit, you know, we, the, the closest grocery store was a half an hour walk from us. So every couple of days we would, you know, walk with the groceries in our hands. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it was pretty tough then because we were thinking, you know, we had these, these dreams of, of become entrepreneurs and, and have our own business and having some sort of success. And here we were sitting there and like no money really left over after, you know, the expenses were paid, not really having a lot of freedom. I remember having this discussion with my wife saying, oh, this is not working out. You know, we need to, I need to find a job or I, we need to go back to New Zealand or something. You know, this is just not working. And I was like this close to giving up. Luckily, leading up to that time, what I was doing, I started interviewing people, uh, very similar to what you're doing now, on how they became successful with their, their businesses online. And so I got a lot of information and ideas and stuff from them, built some really good contacts. And I was ultimately going to sell this as a membership site. But that thing fell over because it was way too hard back then. But one of the people I interviewed was a friend of mine. Well, we became friends, Yaro Starrocks, his name. And uh, he was in the blogging industry. So I became really good with video stuff. I just started to interview him. I did it on a, with a green screen background, et cetera. He noticed I was good with video. And then he asked me to do a project together called Become a Blogger. So I created an initial set of 10 videos that we then released for free. I got downloaded 300,000 times over a six-month period. And, and then we launched a, a membership site, training membership site on the back of that, teaching people how to, how to set up their blogs and use their blogs for, for growing their businesses. And within two weeks of launch, we had 10,000 people on our email database. Wow. And then within a month, we had revenue, recurring revenue, revenue was about $23,000 coming in per month. And you're going from like zero pretty much to, <laughs> to 23K a month for that business was, yeah. was amazing. Cause you know, that, so that was my first real success. And, and then I just kept on building it from project after project. And every single project I did from that point onwards was, was in the video space. Um, even, even now the latest project I have or business that I have is, is all, all in the video space. And so I kind of fell in love with the video thing. Yeah. 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 So what would you say you, would attribute that success to you because you i mean that happened very very quickly what would you was it basically the relationship that you built with you know with your your friend there is that would you say that that was the probably the the biggest influence to that success yeah i I think it was the realization that uh you need help you know you can't do everything on your own and that's one realization the other realization which then relates to building relationships right Mm -hmm. Um, the other realization was that it's important to hone in on your strengths and then to team up with other people who have other strengths that can complement you. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business. Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes, 
and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. So with me and Yaro, what was really good was that I, I was really, really good at creating value and product. I did everything. Like I did the, the, the videos, I did the graphics, I, did, I actually I coded the website in HTML as well. So I did even that too. I created the, the emails and the email autoresponder. I did the customer support. So, <laughs> so I, did, I did all of that. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I created the value. Now what Yaro brought was the leverage of that value. And you need both. So Yaro already had about 20,000 people on his email database. But additionally, he also had some amazing relationships with other people in the industry who also had big audiences. So when it came to launch, not only did Yaro promote out to his own uh, database, he also had a very successful blog at the time, getting lots of traffic. So he published on the blog about the, the launch, but he also invited all his friends to promote for this launch. So, you know, that, that leveraged the value that I created tremendously that I could not have done on my own. Like there's, there's zero chance for me to do that at that point. So, so I brought the value and then he leveraged the value and those two things work together really, really well. And if I look at any of the successes I've had, it's, it's been a combination of those things where there's been some, some tremendous value being built and then being able to leverage it with, with getting it out there to the world. And it's, it's really as simple as that, like at the big picture level, there's, there's actually another component, energy before that. So you need the energy to create the value. Once you got the value, you can leverage that and, and boom, that's the secret recipe, you know, for, for creating any kind of wealth from, from where I stand. Excellent, excellent, love it. So, so was your next step then Splashio? Did you um, create no. that next? Oh, you didn't? No, oh. no Splashio only came quite a, quite a few projects later. Um, okay. So Become a Blogger was my, my first big success. Then I wanted to test out YouTube because at that point, YouTube is only about a year old. Uh, and I thought, hey, this looks cool. And so I did a project with a friend of mine in the magic niche. He was so he, in Brisbane. So he was a, a magician. He would do the magic. And then I would do the, the, the video marketing. So we'd pop it all onto YouTube. And I wanted to see whether we could build an audience. And because I wanted, with the Become a Blogger project, it was cool that I created the value, but I, I felt kind of, lacking in the in the audience building side and the, the leverage side so i wanted to prove to myself that I, that i could build an audience on a place like youtube you know so because i love video so i did this project with jj the magician and and managed to to really get a lot of traction from it we got our email database i, I can't remember now if it was six months or a year it doesn't matter too much but i remember we were getting we had it to about fifty thousand people at one point with it would have been in less than a year and, and that was awesome, you know, so it meant we could, we'd actually launch something and, you know, that channel went on to go bananas, you know, like it, last time I checked, I had over 400,000 subscribers on it and became the world's number one free magic channel. I'm not sure if it still is. Uh, so I left the business after about a year, mm -hmm. but it was really cool because it, it, I could prove to myself that, Hey, we could build audience using YouTube and using a video. So that was really exciting. And then after I go, well, let's, let's teach people about this now. Now I know the value, how to create value. And I know how to build an audience, at least with YouTube and, and video. Let's teach people about this. And so I created a, a product called uh, Rapid Video Blogging. I launched that in 2010. And, and then at about the same time when I launched our, our daughter, first daughter was born. And 
and then I changed. That changed me because I thought, hey, it's great having a business like this that that's leverageable, it's high profit, etc. Only trouble was that it was 100% dependent on me and my brain. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, let's. This is not very sustainable, or um, it, it's very vulnerable. You know, something happens to me, and then what happens to the income for our family? You know, so okay. So I thought, okay, well, let's. What's the, what's a better way? So I thought, okay, well, if, if I could create a brand that can run independently of me and where the value can get created and the value and the leverage can get created independently of me eventually, then wouldn't that be a better way? So that's when I started the first version of Splashier. So that was, that was probably 2012 when I did that. And that's the beginning of Splashier. But then I worked on Splashier for about a year and then I wanted to automate the, well, for Splashier, we, we created these little logo animations for people and little, basically short video clips for people. And we did everything manually. And then I thought, hey, we could automate all this stuff. And so I wanted to find a development team to help us automate it. And I did eventually. I found a team in Singapore and a couple of co-founders in Singapore. But then we agreed that it would be better to create a new brand and, and to focus in on you know, video ads specifically. So I create com- created a company called Viral that basically automated the, the video production for video ads. And we were either the first or the, one of the first to, to do that where we automated the video production for video ads specifically. And it was a pretty cool little business. We, we got to our first million within uh, 14 months, completely bootstrapped, you know, starting from scratch. <laughs> we didn't have any outside investment. And, but it was tough, you know, it was, it was really tough for me. It was a lot of stress in that business. So I did that for about four or five years and, and then exited that business. And I came back to Splasher. Splasher was just sitting there in the background, quietly gaining like 80,000 subscribers. I have no idea why, how, how, but um, wow. it was just sitting there. I didn't touch it. But then when I came back, pivoted the business completely. So for all intents and purposes, the current version of Splasher right now is like a brand new business. Well, it's, it's about a year and a half old now. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you had uh, years where Splashio was essentially dormant, but it, it kept on building up you know, followers and, and subscribers and all of that. Were you able to, to use what we'll call your list as an asset? Were you able to use those assets or was it pretty well, you know, were, were people basically uh, dead, you know, those, those connections? Yeah, the list was dead. It, well, two reasons, I think. One was because we, we didn't nurture people on the list at all. You know, we didn't stay in touch with people. So people would subscribe and then that's it. You know, yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't hear back from us. So that was one problem. The other one is, you know, the list just got old. But third issue was that it was, you know, people signed up for a different reason to, to what we are offering now. So, cause now we were helping people with, with, with captioning their, their videos, right. So, and, and formatting it for, for social media so they can get a more engagement, more views and more exposure. Right. And so it's a very different offer to what we had with like little logo animations and stuff like that. So the list was, was not very targeted at all to what we're doing now. So we did actually run a, ran a promotion to that list uh, when we pivoted. I think, and this is, what, this is what was so crazy to me. We had about 150,000 people on the, on the total database at that point, which included some other lists that I had as well. I ran a promotion for a webinar and had a terrible turnout. We sold one, <laughs> one account. <laughs> so, and and uh, I, was, I was quite despondent because I thought, oh, is this now a bad idea for the business? Is it because the business is a bad idea? Or is it because the list is dead? You know, what's going on here? I ended up concluding that actually the list was dead because, you know, especially from the growth we've had in Splashio now, it's, it's clear that there's a demand for this and that we're creating something that our clients really love and, mm-hmm. and there's a real business there. So. Yeah, yeah, talk a little bit about what Spl- uh, Splashio does today. 
Right. So the core of it is that about 85% of people, according to Facebook, watch their videos on silent, on silent, right? It's when mm-hmm. they're scrolling through their feed. And so the only real way to engage someone when they're watching a video on silent and for them to know what the video is about is to have captions in your video. So a while back, I was a friend of mine asked, her, hey, Gideon, we, he's got an agency. He said, some of his clients want to, wants to um, caption their videos. Do you, do you know how to do it? So I said, okay, let me, let me look into it. <clears throat> I looked into it and it's like, oh, this is terrible. This is a really, really painful process. So I thought, okay, well, there's, there's got to be a better way. Ultimately, there was no better way. I mean, there, there's software that you can use that's dedicated for captioning, but it's still a pain. The, the biggest pain is the, getting the captions right and making sure that they're really readable so that when people watch your video and they read the captions, that it actually engages them instead of turning them off. You know, there's, there's a bit of an art and science to getting that right. And at the moment, we found that you can only really do that with human beings. You know, there's automated software out there, but it's, it, it doesn't do a great job. You still have to spend a lot of time if you really want to make it create an engaging video. But anyway, I, I saw this opportunity for, for helping people with, with adding captions to their videos, but then also formatting into the right sort of uh, aspect ratios and, you know, adding a headline to your video and that sort of thing. All these things helping to, to, to get you more engagement and more views and more interaction from your viewers, mm-hmm. ultimately building your audience, right? So that you can have a bigger following and have a lot of leverage there. Like the, you know, that's the, the leverage function, uh, yeah. helping people build that. So yeah, we said, let, let's, let's do that. Let's build a team around this and, and do it manually so that our clients can get a really, really good quality video back with really good quality captions burnt in. And, and we do it within 24 hours. So, so people send us their little video clip and, uh, and then we, the first bit, we've got four people that touch every single video coming through the business. The first person does the transcription. The second person does a review of the transcription to make sure that it's as close to 100% as possible. Mm-hmm. Third person does the video editing, actually puts it all together, burns it all together, adds the headline, colors, logo, progress bar, call to action, whatever, you know, every, the whole thing to make it look the part. And then fourth person does the final review. Any changes are needed, they send it back to the team to fix up. Once it's all done, send it out to the client. And so all of that happens within 24 hours for our videos that are, you know, they're normally about, you know, less than five minutes long. Mm-hmm. So, so it's quite the process, it's been quite the process to set that up, to be able to do that uh, with a human-based team or human-based solution. But yeah, it's, it's working really well. I mean, I, that's, that's cool. I think the, the, the cool thing about it is that human touch for us, you know, that, that our clients really enjoy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you have any advice on... I guess what types of videos make the best engagement or, or have the best engagement for your clients? Any tips, tricks on you know, what types of content that is or what types of, of videos that you would suggest people should be making? Yeah, so I, I, I probably can't give you specifics here because we, you know, two reasons. One, I, I can't share our specific stats from our clients, uh, first of all, because we don't have them. Um, you know, we don't, uh, we don't collect the stats from our our clients, but also if, if even if we did, you know, there'd be some privacy concerns yeah. there. But what I can tell you is what I've seen work really well. I've, you know, I've been doing this for about 14 years. So I've, I've got a good feeling based on, on actual results for what works and what doesn't work. What does work is when you get a really deep understanding of, of who it is that you're creating your video content for. Mm-hmm. And then from that understanding what their issues and pain points and frustrations desires, all those sort of things, like really getting a, an extremely good understanding of who it is that you're talking to, your avatar, right? And once you know what those things are that they're really interested in watching, you can create content that responds to that. Mm-hmm. 
and, and that is the kind of content that works really well. And mm-hmm. I've seen this time and time again, a friend of mine just here on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, he's, he's basically doing now what I was doing, you know, almost a decade ago with, with teaching people how to, how to use YouTube to grow mm-hmm. their businesses. So he's been doing exactly that. He creates content that people actually want. He, mm-hmm. So he understands the audience really well. And then he creates the content that they're searching for. Like he already knows what they, what they want. And then he creates content related to that. And, and he does the search engine optimization for it on YouTube, right? The keyword optimization. And, you know, he's been doing it actively now for about two or three years. And that went from, I don't know, a few hundred subscribers to now over 400,000 subscribers. Wow. And doing incredibly well. And I think this is one of many cases where when you see people do that consistently, create consistent content consistently that really responds to people's needs and really understand, you understand that target audience. That's what makes the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big, that's like the underlying sort of assumption that you have to create that kind of content that be, people actually want. But from there, then there are a lot of other things you could do. And this is actually where the captioning thing, there's a big aha moment for me. This is where it actually makes a big difference in that quite often this, 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 there's a lot of things you can do during the video editing of the post-production to help improve the engagement of your videos. Like, Things like, you know, using things like jump, jump cuts, for example, that resets the attention so it gets people to watch longer. Uh, it's little sort of industry and, and, tricks. Uh, yeah, and jump cuts, explain what that is real quick. Okay, so jump cuts is, is basically just where, uh, uh, I mean, there's different versions of it, but the, the one that's sort of used on YouTube quite a lot is where you basically just remove any dead spots or quiet spots within the video. Mm-hmm. So I've just had a spot there. So, you know, you, you cut that bit out and basically then it jumps to the next, you know, to the next bit. So it has this sort of, this sort of a jerky kind of a style to the, to the videos and YouTubers figured this out, like right at the beginning, like they would have these jump cuts right throughout the videos, like every few seconds. Right. And, and that didn't realize, but basically what it would do, it would reset the attention because it's unnatural. You know, it's like it breaks the natural flow, uh, which then, you know, makes you pay attention because we as human beings and well as animals in general, we, we, we notice movement, we notice sudden changes, and we can't help ourselves but to then engage and see what is this thing and what is this thing that I'm that's moving that I should be watching maybe it can eat me you know <laughs> I better watch out so so just that movement there helps reset the attention which then increases engagement and you know similar it's a similar idea with adding b-rolls to your video where a b-roll is basically where uh, they've got a rolls and b rolls like in the old days where they you know like for a documentary documentaries users all the time the a roll might be where the person's talking and the, the shot is on their face and they, they're saying something, right? They're talking to the camera. And then while they're talking, they might switch over to what's called a B-roll, which is some footage of the topic that he's talking about. So, you know, I might be on a safari or, you know, I would be talking about my safari and the video camera's on me. And then while I'm talking about this experience that we had with seeing some lions chasing some springbok in the felt, the, the shot might change to a lion chasing a springbok in it while I'm still talking. So that's a B-roll. Um, so all these sort of things can help, again, reset the attention and, and make your videos more engaging. But the trouble with that is that it's, if you're doing it yourself, or even if you've got a team doing it, that can take a lot of time and effort, you know, and you know, with content, video content marketing, you don't want to spend like a month just to create one piece of content. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, okay, well, how do you make it more engaging? And then I discovered sort of stumbled upon this, the captioning thing because when you add captions to your videos, by default, your video becomes more engaging because A, you've got movement on the screen. So your eyes, you know, people's eyes get attracted to the movement. And, and secondly, when people actually read the words on the screen, it engages them, it pulls them in. I mean, th- this is why, you know, books are so interesting. When you, when you look, I didn't realize this as a kid, right? And this is why I never read as a kid. 
So I would look at books. I mean, here's, I guess, an example. This is, here's a page where you can imagine a page in a book. It's just basically black little characters on a, on a white background. Now, just to the eye, if you're not reading it, that looks terribly boring. And it only becomes interesting once you start seeing the pictures behind the words, right? And, and I didn't realize this about reading until I was like 24. I couldn't read, basically. Like I remember I was telling my little girl, she's nine now, she's reading these thick books. She figured it out. But I, when I was that age, I, I had this assignment of we, we had to read a book of at least 100 pages. And I, was, I found a book that was 99 pages long. So I thought, okay, that's close enough. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we had a whole, whole quarter of the year to read this book. And then we had to report back on it to, to our class, to our teacher. And I could not read this damn book. The night before, I was like so stressed. And, and like I was, it was like eight o'clock at night. And I went to my mom and I said, mom, I have to report on this book tomorrow. And I haven't read it. <laughs> she goes, why haven't you read it? You have the whole term. She said, well, I, I couldn't. And so she tried to sort of make me read it. And I, I just couldn't. Like I just, I just couldn't do it. And I basically found that assignment really bad. It was so embarrassing. But it wasn't until I was like 23 or something, I, I got really sick. And I was in bed for like a week. And so I thought, oh, it was like during my master of engineering degree. And I thought, hey, I, I still have to, there's a lot of reading we got to do. So I've got to find a way to read faster. So I read a book on, on speed reading. And one of the tips I gave was that, you know, it's pictures. You have, to, you have to visualize what you're reading and that'll help you read faster and retain the information faster. And then all of a sudden it clicked for me. It's like, hey, actually it's, it's pictures. These words are actually pictures. It took me that long to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then I just read, read, read. I, I read. And that following year, I read more books than I did my whole life which is not many, <laughs> but anyway, the, the point I'm making is that, you know, when people are reading, it's, it's not the text that they see. Sure. The movement there helps engage their eyes and draws them in, but it's, you know, when they read the words that creates a visual experience for them inside their heads. So the visual experience of your video becomes less important when you've got the visual experience of the words, which is you know, not many people realize this. That's, that's so, incredible. Yeah. And, and so, so because of that, you know, when you add the captions, you're actually creating a little movie inside people's heads when they read the words. So like there's the visual of the actual video, but then as they read it, it creates a movie inside their head, which adds a lot of richness to the, to the video, which is really cool. And you know, human beings have huge imaginations, right? So you just have to put the words in front of them. Like when I say the word pink elephant, you know, you can't help yourself, but sort of see that in your mind's eye, right? And it's the same with captions. So it's really, really powerful and it's so subtle and, and it makes a really big difference. That's interesting. That's really interesting. You mentioned before about, I believe it was one of your friends that uses keyword optimization for YouTube. Do you have right. any tips or tricks or anything that you've learned along the way on how to optimize videos for YouTube that you could talk about? Yeah. I mean, this is something we've been using. Actually, the first time I used it was for a keyword phrase, um, how to get more views on YouTube. <laughs> so my little claim to fame back in the day was that my video ranked number one for that for about three years for how to get more views on YouTube. And I got, you know, over a million views for that, uh, for that particular video, which is great. And all I did there was I just optimized for those keywords, how to get more views on YouTube or it was get more views on YouTube. That's what I optimized for. So it's actually really the steps are actually quite simple, but it's quite laborious. The work is quite laborious, but when you do the work, there's this massive payoffs. But, and, and J, JB, my friend, so if you check out his channel, it's Primal Videos, his company's name. Mm-hmm. So what he, and I recommend you, you go through his training because he teaches you how to do this now properly. But basically there's, there's uh, two or three steps. The first step is to, to go onto YouTube and, and look in the search bar for what people are searching for right now. 
and you can type in your base keyword. So say, for example, get more views, you can type that in and then see what other things YouTube recommends. And those are the things that people are actually searching for right now. So boom, you already, YouTube gives you the answer that tells you what people are searching for. And there's a cool little uh, extension that you can install on Chrome called, what's it called? Keyword. Let me just check keywords everywhere that it provides you with the actual search volume of those keywords as well. So not only can you see what people are searching for, you can then also see how, you know, how many searches there are per month for that particular keyword phrase. So you can then go, okay, this one is getting more views than this one. So I'm going to target this one with the more views. So, so that's a huge tip. Uh, so, and once you've, so once you've found that, that main keyword phrase you want to uh, rank for, you basically use that in a few places. You use it in your title right at the beginning. You use it at the beginning of your description. So you don't keyword stuff, but you use it in a paragraph, right? You use that keyword phrase right at the beginning and you use it as your first tag in your, in your tags as well. And then you have other related tags to that as well that you also find using the same method, but they're related to that first keyword tag. Uh, keyword phrase. And then additionally, and this is like a, a magical tip that JB talks about, where you can also at the beginning in the first couple of sentences of your video, actually say that exact phrase uh -huh. as well, because YouTube picks up on that. YouTube transcribes your video automatically, right? So, so then you're giving it all the signals and it's, it's in the title, it's in the description, it's in the tags, it's even inside the video. And then, you know, that's pretty, pretty much all you need to do to optimize for that particular keyword. And I mean, there's other things you can do as well. Some people do naughty things like creating like sort of ton of backlinks to their videos. I don't, I don't recommend that because I, I think if you get caught out, you, you can lose your channel, you know, mm -hmm. with things like that. So, but by all means, <clears throat> if you have a website or a blog already link, you know, embed your video on your blog, cause that creates a backlink to your video and it sends a positive signal to, to YouTube that, that people are enjoying your video. Right. But you know, all of that stuff is meaningless if, if you're not creating good, valuable content. So you've got to create the content that is actually appealing to people to start off with. But yeah, those, those are little golden okay. tips, but I do recommend you, you check out uh, Justin's training on that as well. He's got a ton of stuff on his, on his YouTube channel and, and also a training course that you can pay money for. Excellent. Yeah, we will, uh, we'll put that in the show notes too. So I appreciate that. Gideon, this is fantastic. Uh, if people wanted to reach out to you or find out uh, a little bit more about what you're up to, what would you say is the best way to get in touch with you? Well, there's a couple of things. If, if people are interested in, in getting their videos captioned and, and getting you know, more engagement and building the audience that way with the, the social media videos, we actually have a, an, a special offer at the moment where you can get your first four videos done for free. So that our team will actually do that for you since we don't use automated software. So you can grab that at splashio.com. That's S-P-L-A-S-H-E-O.com. So splashio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me personally, you can reach me on, on LinkedIn just to search for my name, Gideon Shalwick on LinkedIn and, and just say you've listened to this interview and happy to connect with you and have a bit of a chat. Love it. Love it. Perfect. I appreciate the time, Gideon. This is fantastic. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.